Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings and welcome to the Pod Brig. This is UCP Extra, a patron exclusive podcast guide through the licorice all sorts of 90s TV. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, smashing plates and singing jingle bells aggressively. And having a minute for the turkey, I am Ash Versus. This episode of EastEnders aired on the 25th of December 1994, and I get to just copy and paste notes from a previous episode. FIFA 95 returns to the top of the console charts, but there's no change in the film or music charts. It's Miracle on 34th Street is top of the box office, and E17 Stay Another Day is top of the pops. But Ash, you have more information for us. Yes. Now, taking a look at the top 10 or top 20 films is actually a bit more complicated, because even just for the number one film, we often find information that contradicts each other. However, for the songs, it's a lot easier. And actually, the top 10, the top 20, the top 100, they're all kind of fairly well documented. Uh, we're mainly going to look at the top 10, but it's worth noting that in the top 20, we had PJ and Duncan's Eternal Love at number 16. Former, uh, I was about to say Games Master Golden Joysticks, but they came nowhere near close to winning a Games Master Golden Joystick. Former subjects for Dominic Diamond's Ayer, mm-hmm. PJ and Duncan. Uh, Wickfield. The future Mrs. Dominic Diamond had a follow-up, Another Day, peak at number 13. And at number 15, we had the theme from Riverdance. Ah. Do do you remember when Riverdance was every mother's wish list for Christmas? was a bit of a thing during the 90s wasn't it especially like during this sort of mid 90s period there were lots of like there was lots of popularity around river dance but also lots of parodies of river dance as well it was the in thing is everyone could do a michael flatley impression kind of like you know basically it's you stay perfectly static from the knees up and then your feet just flail like you're a toddler trying to find their feet mm-hmm. but then we get into the top 10 and my god luke i wish we would talked about this before because this top 10 
is amazing. It's an amazing selection of songs. So number 10, we have a perfect example of when adverts could cause songs to chart again. Nowadays, it's very easy for a song to chart again because it's all based on downloads. Any correct amount of social media manipulation can cause a song to rechart. We've had it a number of years. We had it with Rage Against the Machine. We've had it with a bunch of other things. But number 10 for Christmas 1994 was Louis Armstrong, We Have All the Time in the World, originally the love theme from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but now associated with Guinness. We have all the love in the world If that's all we have Nothing more. Yeah, I was going to say that was the Guinness because like, the whole point of Guinness was that it takes a bit of time to pour the drink, but it's worth that wait. And we've got all the time in the world for that. And this was one of a couple of songs that saw chart business because of Guinness. The other one was um, Perez Parado, I think. Yes. I felt like the, the two sort of like leading charges of this, of sort of like adverts giving life to music, were Guinness and Levi Jeans. Because I think it's next year we get Babylon Zoo reaches number one, thanks in part responsibly mainly for that Levi Jeans commercial. And also you had Stiltskin Inside, which was a song that was written and then the band created around the song when they were like, oh shit, we've yeah. got to put this out there. But anyway, number nine, another bit of shameless marketing, and one we have to thank Simon Cowell for... It's Mighty Morphing Power Rangers, Power Rangers. as a single and extend it a bit really oh easily so it's three and a half minutes of pure awesomeness this could have been a Christmas number one it actually peaked at number three but it dropped back down in time for Christmas that's that popularity starting to wane already speaking of popularity starting to wane and unfairly I think it's another Simon Cowell related project it's Zig and Zag with Them Girls Them Girls this is the Zagamuffin calling planet Earth Ziggyman and Zagamuffin are in the house in full effect. That's right. Zig and Zag style. Listen to this little business. Come down to letter. Find them all. They all love me. They all love me. Dem girls, dem girls, they all love me. They all love me. Dem girls, dem girls, they all love me. Fucking love that tune. That's a banging tune. In fact, the B-side on that, Turn Off the Landing Lights, is also a belter. This was not the peak for this song. This song actually did go up to number five in January, so it did mm-hmm. go a little bit higher. Number seven is a song that I know I either bought the single or more likely the album associated with it for my mum for Christmas, and that's Jimmy Nail and Crocodile Shoes. Crocodile Shoes we uh a few christmases back my mum asked us to put together a playlist we were allowed to add 10 songs to it each and the songs were meant to like mean something to us or some like songs that you would have like a bit of a story behind it, maybe an anecdote behind it or whatnot and this was the first christmas that my uh my now wife had spent with my family so she was very nervous about her song choices and stuff and that was one of the songs that she'd picked because her sister when she was a a little girl and she was just starting to learn how to speak 
really enjoyed singing along with Crocodile Shoes because you can do the shoes and apparently like they thought it was the funniest thing in the world this little girl who was you know just trying to form her words and stuff would just go shoes that's absolutely adorable it's adorable isn't it i just remember it being the the show being huge because the thing is this wasn't jimmy nails like first foray into music he was a musician he'd already had previous chart success and he was well known as an actor um for my video saying pet which did I tell you about the weird thing I found out about Alfredi Saint Pet the other day? I don't think you did. Because Alfredi Saint Pet was created by the same guy who created MasterChef. Does it really? Yeah. Also directed Quadrophenia. Oh, I think I did know that bit, but I didn't know the MasterChef connection. Yeah. Three things Quadrophenia, MasterChef, and Alfredi Saint Pet. One, that is a diverse spread of creative talent. And two, He's always buying around because between those three, he's not short of a few penny. But this was Jimmy Nail doing the full Dennis Waterman on this one. He created the show. He starred in the show. He composed the theme tune. It was a pretty good country song. This was from its first series and it returned for another run, I think a couple of years later, 96, 97, sometime around then. Number six, we had Celine Dion, Think Twice. That's that's all I've got to say about that. It's a slow ballad. Yeah, Celine Dion will become a name in this country in a couple of years' time when Titanic comes out. Number five, bit more exciting. If it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? If it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd I'd been been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? I'll make those line up in the edit. I I was going to say, yeah, because that was was terrible on the delay. Yeah, no, I I mean, a cracking song. Have we talked about Cotton Eye Joe before? That, That is a school disco anthem for this period. This is a good old traditional American country folk song that's given a dance reworking by a Swedish group. As I say, this number five now, this went to number one in January 1995. They never quite had a successful follow-on career. I think their follow-up um, did go somewhere in the charts, but just somewhere, not mm. not everywhere. You know, it wasn't another school disco anthem. Number four, it's Boyzone with Love Me For A Reason. Oh, they'd have been pushing for that number one spot, but they weren't going to be E17 at this point. Yeah, this was a cover actually, of an Osmonds song. So they didn't even get anywhere with an original. I mean, this was a band that were kind of put together. Louis Walsh actually put them together, I think, but they were put together Mm -hmm. to basically be an Irish rival to take that. That that was the idea behind these guys. Because Westlife were the exact same thing. Like, Louis Louis has a template of what a boy band, a successful boy band. In fact, if if you ever watch The X Factor and he had the groups... He just used the same template every single time because he was like, well, it's worked quite a few times for me in the past. I'll just do it again. But at number three, mate, definitely maybe. What's the story? Morning Glory, it's Oasis with whatever. band that i would be amazed if we didn't see more of going down the line mm-hmm. yeah absolutely well yeah morning glory would have been like the big 1994 hit for them 
in terms of album wise no 95 yeah okay well there you go 95 yeah so it's only gonna get yeah. bigger from there because i've actually got the charts up i don't think we actually get an oasis number one during 1995 not that not in our time frame six of may some might say gets in there for a week that is surprising it's actually really surprising some of the bands that i would expect to see at the top of the charts that are not Oasis only gets one number one in 1995. So does Blur. Blur only gets a single number one in 1995. That I find less surprising because Oasis felt like more the more mainstream act than Blur did. Even though Blur had some big hits, Park Life, uh, Girls and Boys, and things like that, Oasis felt more like the mainstream option. Oh, we 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 luck out here, mate. <laughs> we miss a solid seven weeks of Unchained Melody by Robson and Jerome. I was going to say, I think we literally just about missed that. We are back in uh, the end of September. I think we come back to either Bombastic by Shaggy or Fairground by Simply Red. <laughs> Two very different ends of the spectrum there. Very, very different. But we do miss things like Country House and other stuff that we'll cover on the uh, the in-between episode that we do. But I was absolutely overjoyed to see whatever in here because, well, the Gallaghers may have gone on to kind of like be very polarizing figures in music both individually and together this track's an absolute banger i don't think oasis could put a foot wrong at this point and for the next couple of years in fact no in fact it was only once they started talking about stuff other than music that things went a bit tits up for them really number two mariah carey all i want for christmas is you this is a song i used to hate but i fucking love it now i don't want a lot for christmas famously was never a christmas number one despite the fact like a lot of people think of it now as the christmas song it wasn't a christmas number one until like last year or like a couple of years ago or so when suddenly everyone realized wait was it not a christmas number one we should make an effort to make it a christmas number one then because it really does deserve to be one like you i mean at this point i would have hated the song i'd have hated it throughout my teenage years now i am much older and i can appreciate it much more and actually like that whole album is phenomenal because it's not just that song it's not just all i want for christmas she's got some great great songs on there that are criminally underrated the thing i love about all i want for christmas is you is even in 1994 it sounded old it had that kind of Phil Spector kind of uh, wall of sound approach. Lots of overdubs, lots of layering of vocals and lots of stuff. But it wasn't. It was co-written by Carey at the time, but was just produced to have that kind of 70s Christmas album vibe. And it's mm. it's absolutely stunning. And crazily, while at the time it sounded dated, now it just sounds timeless because a lot of people now try and emulate that feeling and that mix and that sound. Yeah, uh, I, I, the other one I'd like to give a shout out to from that Christmas album is Christmas Baby Please Come Home. It's used in a lot of Christmas movies, but I don't think people know it's also a Mariah Carey song off the same album. Because like, I, I think All I Want for Christmas just overshadows everything. But I, you know, if, you, if you're looking to add some extra songs to your Christmas list, Christmas Baby Please Come Home is definitely one I would add. I, I, I Maybe I'll give it a listen. I'm kind of upping my Christmas quota. I've started on my... I, do you know, I didn't actually start listening to my Christmas playlist until really late this year because I just didn't feel able to relax into it. As we discussed on the other episode, the Argos special, I was, I was being a bit of a Grinch. But now, I mean, we're both wearing our festive buckery at this point, Luke. 
You've got an amazing shirt on. I very much appreciate that. Thank you. I'll be wearing this on Christmas Day as well because my wife is going to be taking my Christmas cardy. Which means, actually, if you are listening uh, via Spotify, I do have some very bad news because I discovered this this morning. But David Bowie and Bing Crosby's Little Drummer Boy has now been taken off Spotify. What? Yeah, I know. I, got, I went onto my Christmas playlist this morning. I was scrolling through. It's greyed out and you can't play it. They've now started to allow you to rate podcasts, though. They've now introduced oh, a star rating system for it. What are we sitting at? Uh, I'll find it in a second. Uh, yes. Stick with me. Stick, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you uh, as soon as I can. Stay tuned for that important breaking up. <laughs> yeah. But at number one, we've got East 17, Stay Another Day. It's not a Christmas song. It's a song about someone dying. But if you stick puffy jackets and some twinkly bells and a snowy video, suddenly it's a Christmas song. Sure is. And a pretty good one at that. That is another one I've come round to as well. Hated it when I was a kid. Hated it as a teenager. Like it as an adult. As a quick update, I've just checked. We currently have no ratings. But look, that does mean we are both the highest and lowest rated Games Master podcast on Spotify. So yeah, so if you listen to us on Spotify, give us a rating on there. It doesn't have to be a good one. Don't care. Just game the algorithms a bit. Anyway, that was our top 10 with a few other glimpses at the top 20. Just to give a quick refresher of where we sat in the schedule for this. BBC One Christmas Day, 3 o'clock, Queen's Message, Standard. At 3.10, Noel's Christmas Presents. Because we didn't get a full house party, we got Christmas mm. presents. 4.10, Animal Hospital. 4.45, The News and Weather. 4.55, oh, it was the wrong trousers with Wallace and Gromit. The best of the three for my money. Four, I mean, four if you include uh, Life and Death. But for Mike, of the original trilogy, I think it's the best one. I think they peaked. I think they absolutely peaked, both technically and storyline-wise. I just think it it is perfect from start to finish. There's not a low moment absolutely the best 525 keeping up appearances itv was also showing the queen at three o'clock followed by mary poppins at 310 545 was the bugs bunny looney tunes christmas tales and then at 605 after the news and weather sleeping beauty the original disney film yeah i think we talked about this on the, the games master episode that covered this period but it felt like the b they had the big hitters this year whereas itv had a lot of the classics on but uh, yeah, the Beeb had the real big ones. I mean, they got Robin Hood, for God's sake. That's on after EastEnders. Although Channel 4, 5.30, Zig and Zag's Christmas special. Oh, yes. I remember you saying like at the time, like, it was the style at the time. Followed by a Christmassy episode of Don't Forget Your Toothbrush. But that's enough of the TV. We're focusing on BBC One. We're focusing on 6.15pm. We are focusing on the Christmas Day 1994 episode of EastEnders when... The event known as Sharon Gate comes to a head. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, Luke, how is your knowledge on 1994 EastEnders storylines? I think we've mentioned this on the podcast before. We were a Coronation Street household, exclusively Coronation Street, nothing else. No Emmerdale Farm, though me nanny very much enjoyed that. We were Corrie and that was it. So I have absolutely no clue on EastEnders. I have got about four, maybe five characters' names written down in my note, and that's only because other characters say them. Spoilers for upcoming. When Grant Mitchell first shows up, I called him Paul Mitchell in my notes because I assumed that's what his name was. And what I was actually getting confused with, getting that confused with, was Phil Mitchell. That is the level of EastEnders knowledge that I have. So I'm doing the heavy lifting on this one. Gotcha. I'm afraid you might have to on this one as well, yeah. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm be, I'll just slide in with some pithy notes, but that is, that is as far as I've got. Well, having watched through the episode and knowing that there are the Mitchell brothers, that bit you had as kind of a pop culture knowledge that on the EastEnders, there was characters called the Mitchell brothers and you had Peggy Mitchell that was played by Barbara Windsor. You with me on that bit? Yeah, he's on the phone to her a little bit later on. I also recognise Pat Butcher because we talked about her on an episode of Games Master not too long back. Pamson Clement, yeah. Still kicking, still doing charity work for animals. From what I can gather of the story yeah. is Sharon was unhappy in her relationship with Grant Mitchell yeah, and that drove her to the arms of another man it's that the other man happened to be Phil Mitchell, who is Grant's brother. And Grant has been trying to get her to sign her the divorce papers because he don't want her in the house anymore. He wants to smash some plates and sing some jingle bells at her. And this is the episode where she does... Spoilers for the end of the episode, if you haven't watched it already. She does sign the papers. And I'm going to presume leaves the show? This felt like a swan song. She leaves the show for a while other than death nothing keeps you out of eastenders forever and even then to be fair pat butcher came back as a ghost as we've discussed before <laughs> I, was just, yeah. just, I, I remember we watched that scene almost in real time when we were discussing did this actually happen turns out it did anyway to give you a very quick rundown on sharon gate this actually goes back to 1991 which is when sharon got married to grant mitchell now, when they were kind of coming up with the various combinations of characters, the creator saw that Sharon would actually work with either Phil or Grant Mitchell. Like, she could be seen as a partner for either of them when you look at the different character dynamics. Now, whether that's a good partner or not depends on whether you're a normal person or a sociopath writing EastEnders. But I think that was where the spark of this came about. So things went south pretty soon after the marriage. They used to clash a lot over Sharon's obsession with turning the pub around and making it a success. Grant wanted to have children. He was more interested in raising a family rather than advancing careers. And he stormed out towards the end of 1992 because Sharon was like, yeah, I may have been on the pill because I didn't want to get pregnant because I was more <gasps> concerned with my career. Gasp. Grant returned eventually, but returned and then went lower because all the way through all of the Mitchell brothers run in EastEnders, there was always the kind of 
undertow of the criminal world. They weren't full gangster, but they kind of were. And that, that involvement in crime is what, in part, turned Sharon towards Phil. Both Grant's involvement in the criminal underworld, his temper, their inability to make a set of crockery last a year. All these things contributed towards Sharon knocking boot with the shorter widescreen Phil Mitchell. Uh, eventually, Grant went to prison for a while for basically trying to set fire to the Queen. Well, no, he did set fire to the Queen Vic as part of an insurance scam. But when he was released, him and Sharon decided to give things another go. They tried to put the past behind them. Phil, meanwhile, had got engaged to Kathy. You probably won't know who Kathy is. She does appear briefly in the Fowler dinner scene where they're asking how Phil is. That's Kathy. Mm-hmm. And for a while, Things looked like Sharon and Grant were going to work out. But Luke, this is EastEnders. We can't have happy times in EastEnders. Certainly not at Christmas. No. Mysteriously, a tape of Sharon confessing her affair with Phil found its way into Grant's car stereo. That's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. It gets worse because Grant Mitchell then played that tape in a fully packed Queen Vic for (laughs) everyone to hear. Amazing. Even better... He did it during Phil's engagement party. Oh, that's great. And then beat up his brother to the point of hospitalising him. Which is why we don't see him in this episode, presumably. And Sharon and Grant reconciled. They attempted to continue with their relationship until we reached this point. This is the culmination of this main storyline for now. There is bits that come on after that we'll cover at the end of the episode, but that is bringing you up on up to speed on the main story. Everything else in this episode is kind of fluff, apart from this. There's actually some really nice bits in this episode. There's a character that I'd completely forgotten about that I absolutely love, and I'd forgotten how much I loved him, and I'll talk about him a bit more as we go on. Yeah, you're right, though. Like A lot of this episode is just other scenes that do have purposes, and they do sort of advance some other storylines, but really it is just there to to break up the Grant and Sharon story. And really, you probably could have just done just the two of them. But I do think that it adds, a, in some tones, a nice bit of levity. Well, the one thing I would say about this episode, when it comes to the Grant and Sharon scenes, it does feel like they have the same conversation about four different times. I liken this episode to a roller coaster in that you've got your loops and you've got your drops. But occasionally you need the lulls or the climbs because otherwise you do notice that actually the drops are all the same. You can only do a loop so many different ways. And so that is how they've structured this episode. The tension in the Grant and Sharon scenes are insane. Whatever you may say, like or dislike about EastEnders, the energy and the fire that both of them bring to these scenes and the emotion, it it is really, really solid acting. Like It's really, Mm. really good stuff. Grant Mitchell is genuinely terrifying in most things that he does. But in these scenes, apart from the the, the comical jingle bells, you can't not laugh at that on some degree because it is just so ludicrous. It's like a Greek Christmas wedding. It's absolutely fucking daft. But what is EastEnders without this bit of music? But we open on Albert Square. Kids are cycling through a relatively deserted garden in the middle of the square. 
Also, Luke, how shit is that Christmas tree? (laughs) My first note I have here is, a woman watches some kids from a window. I recognise that window from that one meme. Because there's a meme of like a woman looking through the windows, getting real mad and shaking the curtains. And it is that window and it's that shot. It's that window in the Queen Vic. It's the window in the Queen Vic that overlooks the entire square. But you go and you look at some of the Christmas trees that Albert Square had in later years, like particularly the one where I think it's Pauline Fowler literally curls up and dies under the Christmas tree for an episode. And they're big and they've got lots of lights on and everything. And you look at this Christmas tree. This is like fucking rationing era Christmas tree. This Christmas tree (laughs) looks like it's last year's Christmas tree that they've just managed to keep watered and like soaked in vinegar for preservation or something. It's anemic as all hell. I like, you know, that's a, it's a nice little touch though because I think everyone else has quite nice trees and theirs is a bit drab and a bit crap. Sharon enjoys watching the young kids cycling around the tree. It's the family that she didn't go for. Yeah, even though she didn't want kids, she wanted a career. Maybe she's smiling because she's like, I could have sold those kids those bicycles. <laughs> I I could have sold those kids and made some more money for the pub. Oh, they're growing so quickly. Pretty soon I'll be able to sell them shandies. <laughs> exactly. But her smile is soon erased when a thud indicates that the Grinch is awake. Grant mm-hmm. is around. But, as I said, roller coaster, let's go to something bright. He's a very lucky boy. Mm-hmm. I've never seen so many presents. <laughs> oh, that reminds me, you haven't had yours yet. Yeah. It's from all of us. Merry Christmas. Oh, thank you both. Oh, while we're at it. For both of you. Oh, you shouldn't have. We won't expect anything worthy of you. No, no, we won't. It's not very much. I thought of you the minute I saw it. Oh, that's very kind. Oh, very nice. Thank you both very much. Oh, a new iron. We're over in the Fowlers. Arthur is still alive. He's not down the allotment. And Martin, little kid Martin, is opening his presents. Did you see what he had, Luke? I didn't actually see what he had, no. He had an Airfix kit with paints. Ooh, very nice. That is actually a pretty quality present for 1994, especially for EastEnders. We see some way shittier presents, including one that's coming up very soon. Mm -hmm. But we've got one of the pensioners of the square. We've got Nellie, and Pauline is trying to convince her to spend Christmas with Arthur and the family, even extend the offer to her would-be boyfriend, Jules. And she's like, nah, Jules has got something planned. It's fine. I wouldn't want to intrude. Oh, a present for me? How lovely. I assume it's perfumes or bath stuff. We didn't get to see what her present was. It it looked like a kind of a bath basket, you know, maybe some essential oils and stuff. It had that kind of Boots gift basket feel about it, you know, or mm. Marks and Spencers probably. You, you push the boat out a bit because Nellie's a bit up herself. But, oh, mate, what does she get for Pauline and Arthur? She gets them exactly what they need because the old one's just broken. It's a brand new iron. I fucking love Arthur in this scene. He's just like, oh, great. Thanks. That's lovely. I'm I'm glad you've given me his name now because I've written in my notes. I've just referred to him as not Paul Whitehouse throughout my notes. (laughs) I want to do more Christmas EastEnders episodes. So hopefully just by doing one episode a year, we will get you up to speed with the characters (laughs) before they die. But Nellie is adamant. She turns down the offer and she's just like, I don't know what Jules is up to. He hasn't started cooking dinner yet, but he's got to have something pretty special planned. But any future protests are obliterated by the rest of the Fowlers arriving as we pop back to the Queen Vic to see the most aggressive cup of tea being made ever. Morning. I bought you something. I didn't know what to do. (sighs) 
something for you two. What's that? Divorce papers. Have you ever made a cup of tea this angrily, Luke? I don't think I've ever made one this angrily, no. Frustrated, perhaps, where, you know, you're at work and you're running out of time to get things done. You're like, well, I really need a cup of tea to just sort of, like, get me through this next hour or something like that. So maybe, like, rushing. But I've never made one this aggressively. I'd love to know how many takes there were of this. <laughs> yes. Can you give us a bit more anger? No, no. Can you not smash the mug? Save that. Save that. We've got something coming up for that. Okay. Can you pour milk aggressively, please? Sharon tries to say good morning, doesn't get much of a response, but she got Grant a gift and he got one for her too. Divorce papers, Luke. It's the divorce papers. I, I thought like the, the, the present would be like Chekhov's gun. And like, you know, because we see it on the table right at the end, the, the present that um, Sharon got for Grant, but we never find out what it is. I'll, I'll presume we find out in a future episode, but we don't find out what it is on this one. I almost thought that was going to be the last shot of the episode was him opening up the gift and it was something like sentimental or something box of matchmakers it, or it could have been like that yeah exactly or you know a hot wheels car a hot wheels car that you can take down to phil's garage and get it <laughs> get it done up essentially she has had the divorce papers for a while at this point she still hasn't signed them she's like no i should speak to solicitors we need to do we're doing the right thing and besides besides grant it's christmas day yeah well merry christmas you slag <laughs> he's got a cracking line based around that later on yeah like the, take a drink if you're watching this episode anytime she says i need to speak to a solicitor or i'm not ready to sign them yet because that does crop up quite a few times and yeah, i wrote in my notes here paul mitchell makes a cup of tea aggressively a woman walks in it was the woman from earlier he hands her divorce papers damn it his name is grant mitchell i was wrong he said she says merry christmas he shouts back well merry christmas i mean essentially I've gone into it in a bit more floral detail, but you've got the notes there. You've absolutely <laughs> got the notes there. Up next is the character I forgot existed in EastEnder, and he is a shining beacon in this episode, and most episodes he was in. It's Nigel. So we're going then, or what? Going where? The Jacksons. Oh, yeah, I thought it'd be fun. You know, Pat will be there, and we just promised Claire she could see Janine. Oh, please. Dead? Oh, well, we'll see how we feel after dinner, eh? Right. So do you like it then, Claire? Yeah, of course she does. It's brilliant, isn't it? Oh. Nigel, haven't you forgotten you're meant to be doing something for me? What? Well, the turkey. What about it? Well, you, you promised you'd take the bits out for me. Yeah, right. Here you are. Watch it on a corner as it wobbles a bit. Oh, and uh, money there. Put the stuff in for me. Right. <laughs> Silly, daft, loud-shirt, curly-haired Nigel. Think he worked in the video shop. He was a fan favourite. He was actually introduced at the same time as the Mitchells and he was a school friend of theirs. So the Mitchells would solve stuff with their fists. He was the guy that would joke their way out of things. But he was a genuinely nice character. There aren't many in EastEnders genuinely nice characters. Most all of them have dark sides. But to the best of my knowledge, Nigel didn't. Mm. Nigel was just a really good guy. We see him here with Debbie and Debbie's daughter, Claire, who he is taking way more interest in the present for than than, than Claire is. Although, what a kick-ass present, Luke. I know, that little RC car. And actually, the, the one thing I would say about this, uh, you know, as someone who's coming into this completely blind, this is a sort of scene that will tell you as a new viewer everything you need to know about this character. So, I, you know, I, I learned later that his name was Nigel. I think they might have even said it in this scene. But he's playing with the remote control toy, 
and almost like acting as though she, the, the kid is playing with it. You know, by him playing with it, she is also playing with it as well. And the only reason he goes in is because he has to go get dinner sources. Also, breaking down gender stereotype barriers by giving a small girl a remote control car. I'm here for it, Luke. I like that. But Debbie wants him to get the turkey on. Nigel gets down to business. He's got to get them giblets out, Luke. He's got to get them giblets. <laughs> you know, they, they, they say to the little kid, like, you know, are you going to go inside and watch a video shortly? What video do you reckon it was? Oh, let's see, 1994. I don't know. If if she's being portrayed a bit tomboyish, I mean, was Jurassic Park out on video at this point? That oh, could I have think been it would one. have been, yeah. I, it might have been something like that, yeah. I mean, you know, at her age, maybe it would have been one of those Disney re-releases with the yellow spines. Maybe it'd be like, I'm sure they must have done a take that video by this point. Oh, yeah. Some sort of like concert video, maybe we'd take that. I think you're right, though. I think it's something more like Jurassic Park. Something she'll have got that morning. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because I'm fairly certain I got Jurassic Park for a Christmas and it might have yeah, been Christmas 94. I'm pretty sure it was. But everyone here seems happy. And there's even this like hint at what went before by going by Claire saying, yeah, it's much better than Christmas last year. Mm-hmm. To give you a bit of backstory, essentially, uh, Claire and Debbie came from a broken marriage, a very abusive partner. And Nigel was their kind of their white knight, but in a very sincere and literal sense. They formed a beautiful, happy family together, which I'm sorry to say, Luke, was completely shit-assed the next year when Debbie was killed in a hit and run. Bloody hell. And Nigel then found himself in a custody battle with the previous ex-husband who was an abusive shithead. But he did win custody. Oh, so it was a happy ending. And Nigel met someone else and, and I love this, he actually got a happy ending in EastEnders. He left the square, he moved to Scotland to become a teacher. And I, I love that. And the reason why the writers did that is I partly suspect they wanted to leave the door open just in case he decided to come back. He wanted to leave because he didn't want to get too typecast as kind of the buffoon character. But also they realised that their viewers would never forgive them if they killed Nigel. Because, mm. as I said, he is one of the genuinely few nice people in this episode. And I love the last shot of him donning the marigolds and making turkey noises. Anytime he appears on screen, he has the best intentional laughs of this episode. As I wrote in my notes, Nigel is quite the joker. I like him. I'm sure I'd find him obnoxious to know, but I like him to watch him (laughs) as a character. But hey, guess what, Luke? We're going to see if we can reconcile with Grant again. What happened to us, Grant? If I sign these, it's over. All of it. Everything we ever talked about, dreamed about. No. It was over when you slept with somebody else. This is just cleaning up afterwards. We certainly are, yeah, because this is like where Sharon is sort of like pleading with Grant, you know, what happened to us? What happened to us, Grant? What are we, what, what's going on here? Well, you fucked my brother. That's kind of what happened. That's it. As a new viewer to this, I discovered it was like, oh, it's because she, she slept with the brother there. And then Grant, at the end of this, proper dick that he is, spoils Christmas for everyone watching this. If you're watching this with the family, with the nippers round, Grant Mitchell, there's no such thing as for the Christmas. I don't love you. We're not going to get back together again, and there's no such thing as Father Christmas. Now sign the forms. <laughs> you prick. That's just Arthur Fowler in a beard. Speaking of pricks, in the next scene, Band-Aid is being played on the radio, and I don't really know much of what goes on in this scene. Here are my notes for Basin. 
A man talks about spending Christmas dinner with his ex-wife's new boyfriend. It's something to do with Bianca, which is a name I know. Also, he is really making that can of beer last. He's he's holding the same can about like an hour later in real time. I don't believe it's another can. I think he's just really nursing that can. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to go too mad on Christmas Day. Now you got you got you got to pace yourself. But anyway, after a brief period of time where Grant tries to stare the wrapping paper off his Christmas gift, we join the butchers who are getting ready to attend the Jackson's Christmas dinner. This is the ex. David is the ex of which they speak, and we've got Pam St. Clement, Pat Butcher in full Christmas regalia with her earrings. She got David a jumper. She wants to know what Bianca got Ricky, and he's just like, oh, some tapes, some tapes and that. Ricky is another character who is a name that I do know from EastEnders lore. Like, one of the things about EastEnders, particularly when I was a kid, is that even if you didn't watch the show, a lot of it was just sort of osmosis. And Ricky and Bianca were sort of part of that osmosis. Even if you didn't watch the show, you knew that there were characters called Ricky and Bianca, and you would you couldn't just say Ricky, you'd have to go, Ricky! Because I, I believe that is just the way that it was often said in the show. It absolutely was. But anyway, Pat and David, they do not want to go to the Jacksons for Christmas. They want to be there less than the Jacksons want them there for Christmas. But because of Ricky and Bianca, that's why this shit is happening. Oh man, that scene later on. Friggin' hell. Luke, should we have another crack at fixing things up with Grant? I made a mistake. No, a mistake is giving someone salt and vinegar crisps when they ask for cheese and onion. Hardly the same, is it? But you won't give me a chance to explain. Why should I give you a chance to do anything? I don't know. Because you loved me once. Because I'm still your wife, because it's Christmas Day, anything, just try. Oh yeah, it's Christmas. The season of goodwill to all sluts. This was one of my other chosen lines that I had to open this up, which is that, because she says, like, you know, sleeping with Phil was a mistake. And he says, quote, a mistake is giving someone salt and vinegar when they ask for cheese and onion. Because they work in a pub, you see, and that is that is the world that they understand. I also love the whole things with the question, which is, you know, okay, let's start with questions. First question, why did you sleep with my brother? Oh, a bit hard, is it? Fair enough. Okay, easier question. Why did you sleep with my brother? <laughs> Still struggling? Okay, let's make it multiple choice. Uh, I mean, this this scene has three bangers in it, really, because he has the a mistake is giving someone salt and vinegar when they ask for cheese and onion. He then follows that up with, bloody hell, this is on TV. Ah, Christmas, the season of goodwill to all sluts. And then follows it up with the my favourite bit of this whole episode is the smashing plates while singing Jingle Bells. The episode peaks at this point. Well, let's get in the spirit of things, eh? Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse iPhone. It's certainly the kind of like the mixture of drama so high it becomes comedy, essentially. Yes. There are two ways to see this, either to find it terrifying or to find it hilarious, or a little of both. I, I mean, I, I, I laughed out loud at, at a couple of moments from that scene. Like, I do think later on it is much more dramatic and it's, it's much more serious, but this is one of those times where I was like, this is high drama. And it just, you know, I was watching this at 5am. <laughs> and it just, it just made me it made me laugh. Of all the times I could think of appropriate to watch EastEnders, I'm not sure I'd ever go with 5am. Well done. Thanks, mate. But hey, guess what? We're going to find what Jules has up his sleeve. Guess what, Luke? It's an old people's party. It's an old people's party at the community centre. And at this point, we see a couple of the other pensioners of the square. We've got Blossom, but more importantly, we've got one of the oldest residents of the square. We've got Ethel, sadly two years departed from her little Willie. 
Yeah, she's a nice little character, is Ethel. She has some, she has some like adorable moments later on. Proper like nan, nan moments. Tell you what, never let it be said that EastEnders isn't equal opportunities because Ethel is horny in this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait until I get him under the mistletoe. <laughs> we have another scene with Grant and Sharon, and that is when Grant's on the phone. He's he's on the phone talking to uh, Peggy, and he's basically lying to her, saying like, "Oh yeah, no, we're just having a quiet one. Oh yeah, she can't come to the phone right now. She's basting the turkey." And then he says, make sure Phil doesn't eat all the mince pies, because I'm going to presume that she's at the hospital with Phil. That's why she's not around on Christmas Day. I think Phil was out of hospital at this point, but was in recuperation uh, and off screen. Right. But, you know, he couldn't eat all the mince pies because he'd have to suck them through a straw at that <laughs> point. Because, I mean, yeah, they got into a bit of a brotherly tiff, which resulted in Phil being hospitalised. It was fairly fucking brutal. Now, I was just going to say, obviously, I'm guessing Ethel isn't a character you're familiar with. Nope, absolutely not. Do you know who Willie is? No, I do not. Willie was her dog. She had this little pug called Willie, who was a mainstay of the square. Willie, the character, died in 1992 of old age. To be fair, the dog playing him, who was also called Willie, was also quite old and actually died two weeks after his final taping. Aww. Also, shout out to this show being ahead of the curve with pugs. Like Pugs don't become like a, a popular mainstay thing until like the mid-2000s. I'm just going to post you now. This is the Wikipedia picture for Willie. <laughs> <laughs> He's like Columbo in dog form. That really is. Yeah, that's one old ass dog as well. Scary thing is, that's the picture from 1986. <laughs> he still had another six years in him at that point. But yeah, he was in the program from 1985 until 1992. When he died, everyone in the square and around the Queen Vic actually raised money to get Ethel a new dog. And she turned them down because she's just like, I won't accept it. I, you know, I just can't replace my willy. Aww. They did go that route with some of the jokes. It was a bit Mrs. Slocum in, our, in Are You Being Served? Yeah. It's like, Are You Being Served had pussy jokes. And Ethel had her willy. Never say about the time that I was in a, uh, a stage performance of Are You Being Served? No, but you really should. And I think we've got time. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. Uh, it was uh, two. We did two episodes, episodes in air quotes, uh, as a stage performance at school. And I was um, Humphreys in both of them. Really? Yeah. I'm free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, did, I, I did the whole, whole kit and caboodle. Probably pretty tasteless now, I would imagine. But it was, you know, the uh, the early 2000s when I did it. It was a, it was a different time then. Luke's mum, if you ever hear this, please say there are pictures. <laughs> I desperately want to see a young Luke Owen dressed as Mr. Humphreys from Are You Being Served? That would literally be the best Christmas present ever. <laughs> I'm afraid I don't think they do exist. Damn. Pre-internet age. What a bastard. And what do you think you're doing? What's it look like? The pub's supposed to be open. Tough. Don't you think you're being a little bit childish? Christmas has been cancelled. Lack of interest. There's partners outside. And that's where they're staying. We're closed! We cut back to Sharon, who is feeling up a tree. Well, she's trying to save the decorations from suffering the same fate as the plate. She's like, he's smashing everything. <laughs> she tells Grant that she's not going to open up the pub. The partners can wait outside. They're not coming in for Christmas this year. Fuck them. Basically, they can go somewhere else. I'm not enjoying Christmas. Why should anyone else? I'm taking the decorations down. I'm not going to stand behind the bar. Oh, and by the way, I'm not signing the papers either. Yeah, she's not ready to sign the papers. Take a drink. And then she says, she suggests that maybe he should go and sign them. And I was like, mate, I think he has. I think the problem is that you haven't signed them. I think she's basically going, go on, commit perjury or something or, or fraud or whatever. 
The thing is, she probably wouldn't care and probably wouldn't contest it. And in fact, I'm actually amazed, given that he is already crooked, why hasn't he done this already? I was going to say, he's got the connections for it. Yeah, so proper yeah. logic. Anyway, we finally get to the most awkward Christmas dinner ever next to the Queen Vic, where the butchers have made it over to number 25. And, oh man, you 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 could cut the air with a spatula here. Table looks nice. Uh, you three up and let me sit down, please. Anything I can do, Carol? No, thanks. It's nearly ready. Do you like a drink or anything? Oh, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. Cheers, mate. Well, we'll open this then, shall we? Yeah, 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 I'll get some glasses. Yeah, I'll just uh, check and see if the dinner's ready. I'll keep your hand. Well, don't worry about us, you carry on. Oh, man alive. Like, I mean, the dinner later is so madly awkward, but just even the walking into the room is just, this isn't how you want to spend Christmas Day. Alan is still working his way through that can of Holston, <laughs> and they sit down, and just all the kids are just staring at Pat Butcher. They're just staring a hole through. It's like Village of the Damned. It is a wicked little uh, like Christmas setup, though. Massive table in a room that's about the same size as that table and not enough chairs for everyone to sit around it. So someone has to actually eat dinner from the sofa. Yeah, it's it's great. That, that That's Christmas right there. That's a proper Christmas. Seems a lot of effort, though, doing the 10 minutes eating. No one does a Christmas dinner like Pauline. I've always said that. Yeah, I bet the sprouts are nice. <laughs> Great. Well, I've got friends in Australia, you know, and every Christmas they go on the beach. They do the full works, turkey, trimmings, the lot. Must be mad. I went over there one year, Boxing Day. I mean, the heat in Adelaide is unbearable. Okay, I think the turkey's better off in the oven. It's <laughs> not a proper Christmas, though, is it? Not like what we have. Well, of course it is. Doesn't matter what the weather's like, still Christmas. I mean, we think it snows every year, but it don't. It used to. What? Snow every year. Nah, of course it didn't. I'm telling you, we had a white Christmas every year. That was before the owls in the ozone lay on that greenhouse thingy. Oh, that's the uh, technical <laughs> term, is it, Dad? Greenhouse thingy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, it always used to snow. We yeah. go to the one family having a mostly normal family Christmas, and everyone, for the most part, is having a bit of an ease-up, really. They're having a good time. There are Arthur's reminiscing about the good old Christmas, you know, small boys, jumpers for goalposts, snow every year, before them holes and the ozones and the greenhouses down the allotment. It's all a good time, Luke. He, he sounds like a caller calling into James O'Brien, you know, saying that Brexit was a good idea, being like, well, back in my day, we had snow every year at Christmas. And then J James O'Brien in this form, pained by the kids being like, that's not that's not what happened every year. That's how you've imagined it to be. And summers were hotter, Luke. Don't forget that. <laughs> exactly. Winters were colder. Summers were hotter. There was snow every year, and and always, always, everyone got a penny in their Christmas pudding. That was just that was just how it oh, was. Oh, it is, yeah. But isn't it the hole in the ozone layer and the greenhouse thingy? Yeah, down the allotment. Don't like those greenhouses <laughs> down the allotment. It's actually a really nice. Again, it's an icebreaker scene. It's Michelle and Mark, who you know, Mark is a Games Master alumni, of course. Todd Carvey, mm -hmm. lightly ribbing their dad. It's actually a really, really nice little fun moment. There's a bit of a tension when the subject of Phil comes up. Paulie's like, no, let's not mention this. And Arthur's like, no, it's fine. It's mm. fine. That's a nasty business. Yeah, well, don't let's go into all that again. I'm sure Cathy's sick of it. I'm only saying that. Yeah, well, don't. Do you don't mind, do you, Cathy? No, no. Oh, no, they are. Yes, well, let's leave it at that then, shall we? Mm. Read the room, honestly. Just read the room. But... As we wrap things up at the Fowlers, Arthur ponders how Nelly is getting on. Hey, nice segue, Arthur. Well done. Because down at the community centre, Nelly is getting thoroughly cock-blocked by Ethel, who also <laughs> embodies what so much of Christmas is. Because Ethel 
doesn't like parsnips. I've never liked parsnips. What? What are they giving us? Parsnips. Well, don't eat them. You've got to eat your parsnips. I mean, Christmas isn't Christmas without parsnips, is it? Mummy always gives some. I thought you didn't like them. Well, I mean, you got to eat them, then it wasn't like it is today, all these MacDougals all over the place. Oh, yes, well, they're another lot. When well, in any case, they're all the same. Potatoes like matchsticks, and all of it disguised in a bun. She doesn't like parsnips, but she will eat them. Because it's Christmas. Because it's Christmas, and it's not Christmas without parsnips. Not like today with those McDougals all over the place. <laughs> and then he says, Donald's. To which Ethel replies, oh, was that another one? Great bit of back and forth banter, that. Again, it's the roller coaster thing. It's just this is actually quite nice. And yet Nellie needs to get the stick out of her ass, essentially. Ethel wants something else in her ass, apparently, because she can't wait to get Jules under the mistletoe. You just wait till I get my hands on the mistletoe. He won't know what's hitting. He can pull my cracker any day. Jules Spike, meanwhile, is a bit of a dark horse. He's strumming out a tune on the guitar. Look at him go. I know, yeah. All the ladies swooning over him. Ethel delivers a few home truths by going, Nellie has had a face like a bulldog's ass ever since she came in here. And there's 30-odd people in this room. Some of them won't see another Christmas, but only one of them doesn't have a smile. Nellie, you miserable arsehole. Oh, she's got a point. And, then, and you know what? The next time we do see Nellie, she has taken those comments to heart, it would seem. Yeah, I mean, basically, when you're being cock-blocked by Ethel, you need to make some changes. But we then cut to Sanjay and Geeta. Now, they reunited slightly earlier in the episode. It was literally a five-second scene, so I didn't raise it at the mm-hmm. time. But at this point, okay, very long story cut short. Uh, Sanjay had at one point cheated on Geeta with Geeta's sister. There was a whole, are you having an affair? No, you're not having an affair. Turns out you are. Turns out the other person was a sister or a cousin or something. They'd separated. There was a daughter involved. But there was clearly still a spark between them. And actually, from the moment these two get together in a scene, particularly when the kid is out of the way playing with toys or having a nap, it's just like, cool. Don't even have a drink. It's a bit thirsty in here. Hey, great. You buy these for me? You're not the only guest I have, you know. All right, these just happen to be the ones I used to buy. Coincidence? Oh, yeah, of course it is. Hey, do you want me to do anything? Like what? Well, I could help with the drying up, if you want. I mean... You help with the drying up? You'd be surprised at what I can do these days, you know. Really? Yeah, cooking, cleaning. I do a great shepherd's pie. Hmm, amazing what you can buy in a box these days, isn't it? No, why actually make it? You get some minced meat, you get some tomatoes, you've got to be careful... All right, about... all right, I'll take your word for it. Just never thought I'd see the day, that's all. I'm full of surprises. Is that so? Yeah. Give me half a chance and I'll show you. Show me. Is a little bit, isn't it? Because, you know, she's still buying those beers that he used to drink. Yeah, he's learned how to make a cottage pie as well. He has it. He's full of surprises. Yeah, he can even do the drying up. But also, both of these two are stunningly attractive individuals. Aren't they just, yeah. The hair on him is just peak 90s. It's the curtains look, but actually, like, this is not taking a dig at you, but a lot of kids <laughs> that had curtains did not suit curtains. Mate, dig away. My, my curtains were proper shit. But the way he's got his hair... That's what everyone wanted to look like. Like onions on your belt, it was the style at the time. But he offers to help with the drying up, which gets an appropriate response. Ooh, there's a lot of flirting going on over these dishes, and these dishes aren't getting smashed. Speaking of dishes (laughs) getting smashed, we're back at the Vic where they're still fighting. And she says, I'll sign them when I'm ready. I wrote my notes here. 16 minutes into this episode, we're having the same conversation we had at minute two. 
party. You want to miss it for the world. Then you start. You cut the atmosphere better than you could the turkey. Well, I don't know what to do. We'll spike their drinks or something. Anything's better than this. Oh, so we'll all end up like you, I suppose. Oh, well, what else is there to do apart from get drunk? Oh, go on, now. If I'd known it was going to be a flaming wake, I wouldn't have bothered. <laughs> well, don't stay on Arakan. Why don't you go and give Derek a ring, eh? I'm sure he'd be pleased to hear from you. And at the Jacksons, the air is thicker than the gravy. <laughs> the foley work in this scene of like clinking cutlery on plates and stuff and like the scraping, it's so good. Can you imagine how much corpsing there was going on during the scene? Because whenever you've got to do a scene like this, it's always the one where someone gets the giggles. Yeah, it really is. It's so funny. Meanwhile, Bianca's sister, Natalie, reveals that actually there is no Derek. Derek was her off-screen boyfriend. She just made it up because she was sick of the sight of Ricky and Bianca all over each other. Guess what happens between Ricky and Natalie later next year, Luke? Do they get together? They have an affair. What is it with people having an affairs with other people's relationships? That's the third one we've had mentioned on this one episode. Mate, have you seen the state of their fucking Christmas tree in the square? You'd do anything <laughs> to distract yourself from that shit. We cut away from the kitchen where they're all hiding, and justifiably so to the dinner table. Thankfully, Nigel and co arrive with party poppers and festivities <laughs> and Nigel <laughs> has out and out the line of the episode. What are we doing? Having a minute's silence for the turkey. Proper belly laugh off me on that one. Yeah, it was great. Like the, the coming in with the party poppers anyway, to no reaction whatsoever. It was so good. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're right at the community centre. Nelly has proper lightened up with her and Jules. They're having a bit of a dance. She's enjoying the day to a whole new level. That is lovely to see. I'm really, yeah. really glad she lightened up a bit. Not lightening up is at the Vic, where Sharon has hit the bottle and decides to tell Grant a few home truths about the part he played in their affair. You've never thought why, have you? Why did it? You've never thought that a part of it, no matter how small, might be down to you. Oh, so it's my fault now, is it? No. But you think I'd have done something like that if we'd been happy? If I'd been happy, think about it. Think about how you were treating me. How I used to dread you coming home drunk in case you picked a fight. You weren't a husband. A lover? You weren't even a friend. Yes. Ooh, this is messier than the clean-up from Christmas dinner. It really is, yeah. And I, I think this sort of flips the script a little bit in terms of, I, again, me as a new viewer coming into this, because, like, although Grant is being a proper knob throughout of this, Sharon is sort of painted as the evil one here. I, as I say, when I'm coming in as a new viewer, because she is the one who had the affair, she is the one who has sort of, like, instigated all of these issues... But actually, this this scene kind of like flips that around, and actually, no, no, there was more to it than that. And the well, he drove her to this point. There's a language like you weren't a husband, you weren't a friend. Like I went with someone else because I was terrified of you. Like it's actually like it was a really really good scene. I think this is this is probably Sharon's best scene of the episode. Definitely, it is. It's a really powerful scene, and you know you can see that there's going to be no coming back from this. Even if you hadn't kind of guessed what was going to happen at the end of the episode. We're skittering down the slope. We get a brief revisit to Sanjay and Gita, who, would you add and believe it, someone's getting their presents. They, they start to smooch because they put the little one to bed, even though it looks like it's one o'clock in the afternoon. Speaking of someone that had younger siblings, if you're clever enough, you can spin any time as being nap time with a young'un. I suppose, yeah. You start early. You start early at Christmas. We're back at the Vic, and maybe Sharon has had an impact, because Grant's opening up a bit. 
He's softening a bit, and she leans in for a kiss. No, you're hurting, darling, but I can make it better if you let me. I can always make it better. Is that how it was with Phil, eh? Is that how you came on to him? No! Look at you. Just like your mother, drunk and begging for it. He told me that's how it was. What? Phil, he told me how you came on to him, how you threw yourself at him. He said that! He told me everything, and you tried it on, how he tried to stop you, and you were all over him. That's not true! He said the lie to me anymore. I know everything. He even said if it hadn't been him, it'd be somebody else. No! Boom. It's his oh. pipe bomb promo moment. Oh, it really is. You're just like your mother, drunk and begging for it. Christmas Day. It is. What a Christmas. <laughs> Let's take a break from this. And oh, thank God, Nigel has worked his magic because you know what can solve an awkward family Christmas, Luke? A game of charades. Hello, my mate. Hello, my mate. This is something called something, yeah? God's charade means Loch Ness Monster in New York. Chris. Now, if you would have asked me what reference to something that you like will appear in this episode of EastEnders, I would never, ever, ever, ever in a hundred guesses had gotten Godzilla. He's having a guess and he said, oh, I know what it is. It's Godzilla meets the Loch Ness Monster in New York City. And I was like fucking hell like a 1994 a, a reference to godzilla like if it was in eastenders now i'd probably understand it a little bit more godzilla's got you know back on the big screen and stuff in three films one of which came out this year it's in 1994 it's it's, it's i mean it's pop culture i guess but even so it's not mainstream pop culture stuff i we see nigel works in the video shop but anyway it was a quality game of charades and i thought the fish called wanda was actually pretty pretty good and yeah. also more lovely nigel Let's be honest, that is going to be the takeaway from this episode, is Grant can't sing and Nigel is lovely. Back at the Vic, Sharon's dumb. There's no audio clip I can play with this, really, because it's all done in silence, but it actually makes it far more effective. Particularly so when all the other residents of Albert Square go out to watch the sort of bugle band and sing Oh Holy Night in the square itself while she's packing up her bag and she is leaving. And I was waiting for someone to die. Like, it, I honestly thought we were going to end up seeing her push down the stairs or something because she'd been drinking so much through the episode as well. Like, we just, there were random times through the episode you would just, like, you know, to cut back to the, the Vic, it would just be her drinking a glass of wine or something, you know, from a, quite an early point in the in the day. And I really thought, it was like, oh my God, she's going to, she's going to top it. Well, not top herself, but she is going to get topped at some point here. I didn't re I didn't think she was just going to get into the car and drive away. I, I actually, looking back on it, you could see almost like maybe she'd fall down the stairs and Grant would be stood at the top of the stairs, but they would leave a real question mark of, did he push her yeah. or did she slip? That kind of thing. That's but it. no, she's only gone for a couple of months. She does come back in 1995. She basically goes over to America to stay with her mother, Angie, who Grant references earlier, who also got served divorce papers by Dirty Den in the Queen Vic. Also around Christmas, I believe. So this kind of, there is a... Um, a repeating pattern, almost as if they've only got so many storylines they can tell. But she raids the savings, which are stored she in the does, kitchen yeah, cupboard. She steals all the cash. Well, I mean, to be fair, the pub was in her name. It was kind of her money to take. It's her money. Yeah, she gets into a cab and she departs. While the square gather, 
and have a bit of a sing-song or a bad lip-sync, depending on which member of the cast you're talking about. It, it's a bit like um, uh, when, love, when Love Is Gone. It's the cut song from Up A Christmas Carol, but you can, it was on the VHS release here in the UK. And Michael Caine is, you know, lip-syncing along with it until he forgets what the next lines are. So just starts to pretend to cry and just starts acting like he's crying as a way to cover up the fact that he's forgotten the words. Reminded me a lot of watching this when people were like, I don't think some of you really know what the words are here. It's like you know, in Wayne's World when uh, they're singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Daniel Carvey said in interviews, like, I, I'd only heard the song like the day before and I had to learn all the lyrics to it, which is why when it cuts to him, he's mouthing along to it really poorly because he does not know what the words are. But, you know, the one other thing we can take from this episode, Luke, that Christmas tree is still shit. It really is. I mean, keep in mind, they probably filmed this in July, September at best, because that's what you have to do with television. You know, you have to pretend it's Christmas. But that was the Christmas 1994 episode of EastEnders, the end of the main storyline of Sharon Gate. She would return. She would have further to-doings with Grant and with Phil. She would eventually marry Phil in 2014. Bloody hell. Yeah, 20 years later. That's quite a nice little touch, I suppose, in the way. And we get like the classic. And like as, as basically the last image we have is the signed divorce papers to let you know that she did do it. She is gone. And you know, it really felt like a swan song. And then in the outro credits, the announcer says, coming up next. Coming next tonight, Kevin Costner stars in the Christmas movie premiere, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah. It was, it's lovely to have that broadcast version of this available oh, via YouTube because so it gives good. us some real context. Just to let you know, Luke, another name you may be familiar with made his return to Albert Square in the Christmas 95 episode. Frank Butcher came back the next year. That is a name I do recognise. I genuinely hope we get to do that actual that, that exact Christmas EastEnders episode because that will be a lot of Frank Butcher and a lot of Pam and Clements and I imagine therefore it'll be a lot of awkward drama. Or maybe we'll flip the script and we'll do Corrie instead. I'd be down with that if we can find the episode because then you'd be acting as the guide. Yeah, I guess I might have a lot. Some of them might have to come flooding back to me because I've probably forgotten pretty much everything there. But Luke, in your kind of position as a complete Corrie household, what did you make of how the other half lived? I think this is an episode that if you are really into this Sharon Gate storyline, and it really does feel like, you know, the Sharon Gate part of this is, you know, it's been dominating the, the East Ender storylines. And as a crescendo to that storyline, what an incredible payoff that you get to that. And on Christmas Day as well. It's not what I was expecting to be, in all honesty, because, you know, you have, uh, as someone who doesn't watch EastEnders, what you often hear about EastEnders Christmas specials are someone dies, someone gets hit by a car something like this happens. But what we actually got here was just a very straightforward drama. And at the end of it, one of them leaves. And I thought that everyone played their parts really well. I thought that the breaking up of that story was also a nice little touch. And yeah, I, I, I'd, I quite enjoyed my little trip to Albert Square. I genuinely think that this was a peak point for EastEnders. It was when they still had drama, but they still had good characters. And the problem was, and it is kind of like the where do you go next thing, is you have to keep topping yourself every Christmas. And that's when people start dying. People start falling off the roof of the Queen Vic. The Queen Vic explodes. Pauline Fowler curls up and dies under a tree for no apparent reason. Maybe she's a dog or a cat. I'm not quite sure. That's kind of where things ended up going. And they just kept escalating to the point where now EastEnders genuinely is one of the most miserable television shows out there. 
it keeps going because people love their soap still. Mm. I don't know how many new viewers EastEnders gets that aren't kind of like in- inducted by family members. I don't think anyone is just picking up EastEnders by themselves and going, oh, yes, please, I'll have some of that. I wonder, like, how much longer that can last. Because I personally, you know, maybe this is just anecdotal evidence, but I don't know many, like, young people that watch EastEnders. Like, I've worked in a lot of offices over the years, and, you know, I'm sitting over the last 10 or so years, not including the one that I'm in at the moment, and I never hear anyone talking about EastEnders, never hear people talking about Coronation Street. It's not featured as much on things like Gogglebox or anything like that anymore. You wonder, like, how much long... I mean, I'd imagine, having said that, that the ratings for it on Christmas Day will probably still be great, because I think there will always be that older generation that are always tuning in for it. Just to give you a bit of an idea, the highest rated episode of EastEnders for 1994 was 19.31 million viewers. It wasn't the Christmas Day episode. It was on the 27th of October. I imagine it was probably Sharon Gate related. Skip forward to 2020. The highest rated episode was episode 6099 from the 23rd of March, 7.46. That's, that's, that's a dip. Not all of that is because of the kind of like, I guess, the diminishment of EastEnders. I imagine Coronation Street's probably suffered similar problems as well. Well, that's what I mean. I think it's a generational thing. Well, no, I just think it's the, it's the fact we don't just have four or five channels anymore. Mm, yeah. And also people aren't just watching stuff live. It's on catch up. It's on demand. You can watch it on your phone on the way into work. And those viewing figures don't always count or don't count at the same time. We've had this discussion about Games Master. Mm. Anyway... I actually, yeah, I think you've got the right idea. We should do Coronation Street next year. I'll, I'll have a dig around and see if I can dig up the episode ready. But yeah, then we can we can look at see what Corey was doing for Christmas 1995. To all of you that are listening to this, thank you so much for being Patreon backers this year. Uh, we hope to see you all again next year. You'll be hearing this after Christmas, so I've hoped you've all had a lovely Christmas. I hope you tuned in for the uh, East Enders Christmas special this year. Why don't you let us know what happened in the the comments down below? Uh, but yeah, no, thank you all so so much for for supporting this podcast. It really does mean the world to me and Ash. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful time off and I hope you get to see your families stay safe everyone take care good night Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.